Hello everyone, and today we have with us Timon Smitkala from uh, Techland, who's going to talk about uh, Dying Light, the production of the game, some of the tools that the team was using. Uh, we will also touch a little bit on the topics of recruiting, as well as talk about uh, building a career as a game designer. Greetings, and welcome to the 80-Level Roundtable Podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off-limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. Before we start, can you do... A little introduction, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your role in the company, what you guys are doing, and that kind of stuff. Okay, so hello everyone, my name is Timon Smektawa, I am the lead game designer at Techland, working on Dying Lights to Stay Human. I have been with the company for about eight years, actually nine this year. Um, I have joined uh, when we were working, when the company started working on Dying Light 1. So I have been with the studio for the whole adventure since Dying Light 1. I was responsible as a lead game designer for Dying Light 2 the following. And then I was also a lead game designer of Dying Light 2 Stay Human. So tell us a little bit about the current situation in Techland. What are you guys are working on about the recent release and kind of where you are in terms of the team, the size of the team, and like the main things that you're working on right now. Okay, so quite a lot of questions rolled into one, so I'll try to uh, take that one by one. So uh, I think it's a very good time for us as a studio. We have just released uh, our recent project, our biggest title so far. The game has been released phenomenally well because uh, over the first weekend it was played uh, by more than 3 million players. As you can imagine, the numbers are still growing. So it's like um, business-wise and in terms of accomplishment, professional accomplishment, this is something that that that, that brings a lot of joy uh, to our studio as an organization, but also on a personal level. Um, the period of time where we are right now as a company is actually very interesting because we have released the game, the game is out there, the game is received well, um, and now we are kind of thinking, organizing ourselves to handling what's what's going to happen in the future. Um, we have three main directions in which our work will focus over the next uh, months and years probably. Um, the first one is, of course, post-launch support for Dying Light to stay human. Um, uh, the other one is another project that we have already kind of announced or at least revealed its existence. So we are working on an amazing open world uh, RPG, fantasy RPG that, that is being made by one of our two studios, the studio in Warsaw. Um, the Dying Light team, the core Dying Light team is a team that's based in Wrocław. Um, but we also have another studio in Warsaw uh, quite big in size, which is working on the on the other project I have just mentioned. The team is kind of getting uh, closer and closer to revealing the game more officially, but as you can imagine, this is something I can't really go uh, much into and, and spill any beans, but let me just tell you, this is really something unique. This is a very um, interesting project. 
and I would love to be a part of that team. Um, aside from that, aside from working on post-launch for Dying Lights to Stay Human and the new project, we are also slowly starting to think about next project for our core Wrocław studio. Um, but as you can imagine, there are like a lot of ideas on the table, a lot of possible directions we could go. Uh, we didn't even start pre-production yet. I think it, this is a moment for us to um, uh, reorganize ourselves and, and make sure that we are ready for whatever future brings. When it comes to post-lamp support, it's actually, again, quite an interesting proposal for us as developers because we have already announced that we will be supporting the game for um, five years. So this is like a huge campaign that we have already planned out and um, uh, and uh, make sure that we approach this wisely. Um, we have a quite solid plan for the whole five years. We We are quite sure and we understand where we want the game to be in that five years uh, period. Um, but of course, the plans for the next year, maybe the year after that, are way more precise. Actually, the first year is like very detailed. We have already revealed chunks of it, but that's not all. We will start revealing more and more in the upcoming weeks. Um, uh, but the thing is that this is actually a content that will be very varied, uh, very um, distinct, quite different from one another because for the first year of post-lamp support of Dying Light to stay, stay Human, we want to experiment with different forms and different ideas and uh, basically try any crazy idea that, that, that we have come up so far to see what works with the community, what community expects. Timon, let's talk a little bit uh, about the Dying Light 2. And then th this project has been in development for a while. There were a lot of things implemented there, and the game is huge in size and scope and the amount of stuff there. Um, I want to ask you a question. So what were kind of like the main tools, technologies, uh, and also specialists that were key for the production of this amazing open world that you've created like i'm talking about procedural generation or maybe some you know texturing tools or anything that was kind of essential we're trying to highlight the things that kind of in the avant-garde of the game development and help build not only the current games but also the future games so it would be nice to hear your opinion okay so Perhaps I'm not the best person to ask because as a game designer, I don't really work much with automatization tools and the procedural generation of, 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 of content. But of course, we were using uh, systems like that. We are fortunate enough to be able to work with our own engine, which is called C-Engine. And this is an engine we have built on purpose specifically for the games we want to build as a company. Techland, as a, as a developer, have said it internally, this is our internal strategy, that we want to focus on first-person open-world games. We believe in those kinds of games because we believe that those games offer you the, the, the highest possible level of immersion. It's an open-world game. It's full of uh, immersive elements, full of, 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 of sandbox elements that you all experience with your own eyes because it's first-person perspective. So um, it also allows us to create this, this graphical fidelity that, that we feel will be important for immersion 
in open world games, but in, 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 in games that we want to build. So the C engine is an engine built specifically for this, but we have also like a part of it, uh, like a huge chunk of it is, is something that we are calling maybe not the most fanciest of names because we call it the city builder, uh, but this is actually our uh, automatization tool that allows us to create and iterate on the on the environment and the fabric of environment and the playable space that our environment is very easily, very quickly and very swiftly. The thing is that we have named it City Builder because we have developed it as we started working on Nine Glides to Stay Human, which was a game that was supposed to take place in an urban environment. But then we moved to the other project I mentioned before, which is actually not all about cities. It's it's a fantasy game. So as you can imagine, the, the environment is drastically different to what we have in Dying Light 2. But uh, we have also managed to make this tool allow us to speed up the process of creating the fantasy world of the other games. So maybe the name City Builder is not not the best anymore, but I, I think we decided not to spend too much time coming up with fancy name. We just wanted to have a tool that works and tool that, that makes our processes faster. So what it does, it allows you to create cities or other environment using smaller blocks, buildings, even smaller ones, like specific like elements of buildings, um, uh, and then iterate easily and change that easily with a push of a, push of a button, with a, like a move of a, of a mouse, of a computer mouse. And this is definitely something that helped us to... to, to make our work on Dying Light to stay human faster, especially that it also understands uh, some of the gameplay rules that we have in the game. So so not only the environment created with the city builder looked nice and, and was creating like this illusion of, of real city fabric, but also was considering all of the rules that we have in our traversal system, parkour system, with measurements, with the differences of heights, etc., etc. So, so definitely, this is this is this this is like our baby that helped us a lot over the over the process. And when it comes to specialists, I think um, it's kind of hard to say, but because I I I, I would bet that uh, for every AAA game developer, everyone is basically looking for everyone. Everyone is looking for uh-huh. the best possible programmers, for the best possible artists for the best possible level designers, game designers. So it's the same with us. Like we are on the market for for the, for the best specialists out there. Thankfully, with the success of Dying Light to Stay Human, this is something we can kind of use to, to, to invite more people into our studio. And this is also something that we are doing at this time uh, where we want our team to grow. We don't want it to grow to be too big. We don't want it to become this mega studio, mega corporation that is kind of hard to manage, both in terms of, of, of uh, production of a game, development of a game, but also in terms of, of those like softer HR elements. Um, uh, I think we are quite happy with uh, with the size that we have right now. Currently at the studio, we have about, uh, let's say, 450 people. We want to grow the number a little bit, maybe to 500 people. This is, I think, this is the the, the rough estimate of what we want to have um, internally as a core part of our Wrocław and Wrocław Studio combined. So, tell us a little bit about the kind of recruiting market in Poland. I know that it's uh, extremely competitive because there is like a lot of 
very good studios that are producing triple A titles there. How do you attract new people to the studio? Do you use your brand, the game? Because we had this, we have the saying that the developers are still gamers and they usually want to work on a game that they actually want to play. Do you use some other elements like, you know, a better office or maybe insurance? Like, what are the things that help you attract more specialists? We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper and with the permadeath of XCOM. And that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Oh dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you have, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. So again, maybe I'm not not the best uh, person to answer. Maybe you should get someone for for from HR for this interview. But but of course, I I also see things and experience things. And as a lead game designer, I'm also involved in uh, recruitment of new game designers. So like I kind of I think I can answer your question quite uh, thoroughly and 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 uh, make it quite factual. So for us, I think the, um, the most important thing is definitely the the projects that we are working on. I think uh, in the AAA space, it's very, very hard to compete in terms of salary or in terms of benefits because every top-notch studio out there offers basically a very similar level of, 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 of benefits and uh um, uh, gratification for work. So, so definitely, what you can do to excite people is to present them that you are working on a exciting game, uh, uh, an exciting element of a game, or maybe you are working in a um, in a studio that it's priced uh, praised as a studio and respected as a studio. And I think with Dying Light One and Dying Light Two, uh, we have uh, also. Uh, we have proven ourselves as being one of the top developers in the world. Dying Light to Stay Human, as I said, is a successful game, so it also make, makes uh, things easier for us. But of course, I understand this is, this, I think uh, every one of us understands you are only as good as your last project, so you need to hire the best people to prove yourself again, and I hope we will do that um, uh, with, uh, with, uh, the, with the next one. But definitely what we have managed to create at Techland is, is, is an amazing culture of a studio. And I think this is this is something that um, personally, but I think no matter who you ask from Techland, you, you will hear them saying the same thing, that uh, the biggest asset of our studio is the people that are working here because everyone is passionate, everyone is creative. I think everyone says the same thing probably, but really this is this is a huge pleasure to be work uh, to be working in such an environment. Like every meeting is is extremely creative, full of goodwill, full of, full of um, something quite magical. Like I I I came to Techland from a game dev industry as well, game industry as well. I was working in a. Uh, in the gaming media, I had some other job experiences as well, but nowhere else I was uh, feeling 
experiencing the same level of of, of uh, companionship and um, openness towards other your 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 work colleagues as 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 it as it is here in Techland. So the people of Techland are just amazing. So so definitely this is something that helps, and this also helps in terms of the of uh, recruitment because people recommend our studio to mm. one another, and and this is also like. A, a, a good advantage in recruitment. I think this is this is something that can be observed in a lot of other studios. Like um, the specialists are spreading to to different places, one studio or another. And if they feel that there's something good going at where they are, they 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 recommend that place to their friends. And we see that a lot in Techland as well. Do Do you guys work a lot with? local schools like do you have internships for you know younger specialists or somebody who's just beginning oh, of course we do but this became quite difficult in the recent months because of the covid pandemic so like it's only recently that we started kind of uh, reigniting those those programs and, uh, and and but but before pandemic we were frequenting uh, um uh, job fairs and meetings of students in in uh, uh, technical universities in Wrocław and generally in Poland so so we are also present on all game dev conferences in Poland and not only in Poland so so i think everyone hopes that with the pandemic slowly ending uh, or like getting calmer let's say we will be able to get back with full steam to those kinds of activities so let's talk a little bit about uh, dying light 2 so i personally am a big fan of the first one i played like the hell out of that one i'm I st i'm still to kind of go into full speed into the sequel because i'm playing Elden Ring right now, so I need to finish that, and then I need to go. <laughs> so I have a I have a reason, and um, my question is like we, when we see a game kind of finished, we don't see a lot of things and challenges that were happening behind the scenes. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the kind of most challenging decisions, or you know, just you know, boundaries and challenges that you had to go through to make sure that the game is at the quality. Uh, and the size that you want it to be. Okay, so I think the biggest risk, definitely the biggest risk that we took with the project was approaching the sequel in such a, um, I would say, maybe maybe it's not unorthodox, but in such an ambitious and brave way. So we had, I think we have locked down the formula of what Dying Light is, as a game with the first one. We have defined its core gameplay pillars, which is first-person parkour traversal, which is first-person brutal melee combat, which is day and night cycle that changes the rules of gameplay. And we had, we had all of this in the first game and we had it working. We have polished that formula quite well with the post-launch support. So perhaps we should go the easy route and just kind of repeat the same thing with the second one. But we had decided to add another gameplay pillar to Dying Light to Stay Human, which is choices and consequences. We wanted to create a game where player has this a similar level of, of player agency and player expression in gameplay as in narrative, general narrative. And this was definitely the biggest risk because as Techland, we didn't work much with uh, non-linear narratives before. 
and with environments that you could change with your decisions and uh, um, generally yeah, set up an environment, a combinations of factors that can make your game having quite a lot of different combinations with affect the gameplay and narrative at the same time. And I think this was also the biggest challenge for us. The biggest challenge for us was to kind of design our own approach to choices and consequences. There are quite a few games out there that try to play with similar concepts, but I think we had to find our own way to work with that, uh, like methodologies that will allow us to make sure that we understand what a good choice is, what kind of a consequence is an interesting consequence for the players. And also on the technical side, it was quite difficult for us and maybe even a little surprising um, how much more work we need to put into polishing and testing content which can have so many different states. With Dying Light 1, we were basically just testing one game in a way. We were just testing a game that can, could be played only in one direction. The, in, in, in Dying Light 2, and only in one environment, really. In Dying Light 2, stay human the directions you can take as a player are way more varied. And also the environments in which all of this happens can have different states. And, and actually being able to manage all of this and make sure that the quality is there, that was the biggest challenge uh, during the whole project. What were the ways that you were kind of making sure that gameplay systems that you created work well within these new environments and uh, inside this idea that you can make a lot of different choices. How do you do, how do you test it? How do you tweak it? What are the things that you maybe decided to change or alter in order for it to kind of make sure that, you know, that some gameplay mechanics doesn't ruin the bigger idea that you had there? Uh-huh. Actually, that's quite a difficult question to answer because um... There is no magic formula. Like the only thing that you can apply to, to, to this kind of problem is to just test the hell out of your game and just test it in all possible variations and make sure that it works uh, with uh, a very strict back uh, reporting process and with a very strict approach to, to, to solving those bugs and, and issues that arise. Um, in terms of... of, of, of I'm not sure if I'm able to point to any specific like thing that we had to change or or create in a very specific way to 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 make all of this work. Of course, what helped us was uh, uh, applying modularity to some of our, uh, for example, visual designs, so we could create um, uh, structures that can share a similar foundation, similar base, but have different attachments on top of, on top of it which ended up in those buildings looking different and having a different mood and different theme and different visual aesthetics. But but those are just, in a way, those are just uh, quite regular solutions to similar problems that we just had to use and mass and apply and mass to all of the problems that we were facing. So there's no magic formula. It's just hard work. Generally, as in all game dev, people often think that game development is like, easy the best job in the world because the only thing you do you just play games every every single day for the whole day it's not like that it's actually it's quite not. hard it's one of the like from from the from the jobs i know from the professions i know is one of the hardest 
But having said that, it's also one of the best because the feeling that you get when you are able to create something, when you are when you are able to create this virtual world, see it work, make it work as you want it to work, and then you release it and people enjoy it, that's really a, a huge accomplishment and something that really gives a lot of energy and 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 and, and good things to you as a person, as a professional. Timon, since we kind of touched on the topic of uh, testing, there is also this idea of play tests in, in the marketing kind of way, right? So you have focus groups and you play with them and so on. And um, they say that Mike Tyson once said that everybody has a plan and, until they're hit uh, in the face. And uh, my question for you is, did you feel the same kind of hit in the face when players first started playing your game? Because it's usually, I know, like for in, in the game development circles, it never goes according to plan and everything is kind of like... So how did you work with them in those that's directions? That's true. Uh, definitely, that's true. That What you said is true, like that in game development, nothing goes according to plan. Like you can have the best design on paper, but as soon as you implement it, or even as soon as you try to implement it, you see that there is like this mountain of problems that you have to overcome. And when you implement it and people in playtest start playing this, you see that there is like an even bigger mountain of, of, of player feedback that you have to consider. But I don't see this as, as being hit in the face. Like as a game developer, you are used to this so much that you don't even register this. So it's not like this, 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 this big blow that knocks you out. It's just like a regular slap on the face. So, so of course we had that. Like the first, the first playtest that we did, um, uh, actually they were quite encouraging. But the list of problems that were listed after after the first session of playtest was so huge, so long that we kind of got a little, uh, maybe not depressed, but like, oh shit! So now there's this much of work we need to do. Uh, I think one of the one of the maybe the closest to what you what you are asking about was one of the playtests we did meet last year when we realized that people are finding our combat to be maybe a little too 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 easy, maybe a little too much on the easy side, maybe a little bit too repetitive, and this kind of surprised us because we we felt that. We have it. We have it good that we know what we're doing, and we knew it. it we found out that we knew what we were doing. We just didn't. Uh, we just kind of lose focus on upkeeping the balance. The like a very small tweaks in parameters of what was happening. So thankfully, when we received that feedback, it was actually good that we have received that feedback, and we did those playtests because we were able to turn around this within a very short amount of time, like maybe two or three weeks. So then we redid the the read. Re, Read it, the playtests, um, uh, as I said, after three weeks, I think, or maybe a month, and uh, the results were completely different, way, way bigger. So, so if you're asking me about something like this, I think that was a moment that was kind of like a little surprising, which was the moment where we left our guard down. But aside from that, of course, when you do playtests, it's it's not that easy to get good scores, but that's good. I think that's actually something that also tells a lot about our industry in general, that people are expecting more and more and higher quality. And uh, if you want to play in the top league, you just have to to be prepared to, to spend resources and time and a lot of effort to deliver that level of quality that people expect. 
Timon, this is an excellent kind of bridge into my next question. So we often talk about kind of players' expectations and what do they want to get uh, from the game. Um, how do you work <laughs> with that? Like, do you just follow the trends that are out there and just trying to build on top of them? Or do you feel kind of the courage and you feel confident that the things that you are introducing are, are going to be the, the new norm and kind of build on top of it? Because I'm not going to kind of name point fingers or name name, but there are some examples when like there are companies that don't really follow the, you know, the beaten paths and they are super successful. And at the same time, there are companies that are very much into like listening to the players, you know, following, making life kind of more easier for for the player to make sure that it's not it's more like a movie i would say like the the game is more like a cinematic experience and uh, they are constantly being critiqued in the community for you know kind of being super repetitive let's say this way so what's your what's what's your take on it and how does techland kind of work in that so both me, person, uh, both me personally and i think as as a studio techland as a studio we I think we are quite confident about our, about our ideas, but also, and I think that's maybe even a stronger part of our design process, we are very confident about the relation that we have built with our community. So yes, we listen to our community and I, 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 I don't feel it is anything that, that the game developers should be ashamed of. It's good to listen to your community. It's good to listen to what people expect from your game. The thing is that you have to learn how to create this communication, which is really direct, really honest, and allows you to filter what's really important. So um, both me personally and generally the whole team, and like there's a dedicated team that focuses on contacts, contacts with the community, community management, but also generally having a discussion with community, we, we try to be as active as possible. And we try to not only like gather all of the opinions and feedbacks that are left um, on Twitter, Reddit or whatever, but we also try to engage with those gamers and try to understand what are, the, are they expressing the, the feedback that they are expressing? Is it really, did they really express it precisely? Is it really something they, they asking for? It's like an, uh, like an old metaphor about Henry Ford that if, if he would give people what they asked him for, he would give them like a metal horse, but he gave them a car because, because that's what he understood from the, from the feedback. This is how he understood what, what people wanted because he was able to have a direct conversation with, with his customers. And I think we try to do the same. Uh, we are not ashamed. I think we are even quite proud about being open with our community and listening to the community feedback. Of course, this doesn't mean that we are steered by, like, by, um, I don't know, like uh, voting forms and, and, and yeah. whatever people say online. We approach that data as a data. We approach this quite scientifically. We try to analyze it as, as, as best as we can. But yes, our decisions are based or are using community feedback as, as, a, as a, we're using this as a part of our decision-making process because I believe this makes our decisions more informed. 
I thank you. I think it's a wonderful answer because truly it is impossible to kind of make a game that everybody likes. And if you listen to community too much, you might get in trouble. But at the same time, if you don't listen to them, you're nobody's going to buy the game. Exactly. What also helps us is that Dying Light 2 is the second game in the franchise. So we have mm. kind of grew with our community since the first one. We have a lot of uh, trusted community members, which which we can ask directly, basically even give them the build before the release and ask them what they what they feel about it, and have a very meaningful conversation about about what we are trying to do with the game. So so definitely this helps. So uh, Timon, I want to kind of come back a little bit to this creative process and the construction of the game, if you will. Usually, in the perception of kind of the general audiences, there are two parties inside every game studio. There are the, the coders, the programmers, and then there's the artists who are kind of creating the vision and so on. So where do you feel game designers uh, stand in this, uh, you know, in, in this territory? Are they more with more technical people or are they more with more kind of creative crowd that just bounces ideas? So I think game designers have actually the worst job on the on the <laughs> on the on the project because uh, you could say that game designers they they don't they don't know anything. Like if you are a coder, you can code the game. If you are an artist, you can create this amazing piece of art, like this object or or texture or whatever. If you are a game designer, you can only create like a basically like a Excel spreadsheet. And maybe a word document, and 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 that's it. So you really have to work hard, and you really have to prove yourself that of the of the team, and uh, you really have to gain that respect to be able to lead smaller interdisciplinary teams working on specific features. So, so uh, of course, I was saying this half jokingly because, as I, as I said before, I, I believe I have the best job in the world. Uh, but but um, I think generally this is a, a call to all game designers to uh, focus on the professionalism of their work, on using professional methods and growing professionally as a game designer and being able to to use those approaches, those methods, those 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 professional tips and tricks to to gain respect within a bigger team going back to your question actually i think it's a good thing that designers are, are kind of in between designers one for me one of the tasks of a good game designer is to actually be the the bridge between the artists and the and the and the programmers being a person that understands both sides and be able to talk with both sides and come up with designs that uh, are um, uh, then I miss a word are uh, um, okay good to work for both artists and the and the programmers and that allow both artists and programmers understand the essence of the feature that they are working on and work together on it and add to it not just push it in in one direction or another. Um, thankfully, at Techland we focus on features working 
quite in a quite interdisciplinary way. So uh, for every bigger feature, there's like a smaller kind of strike team or a smaller team that's that consists of animators, uh, 3D artists, concept artists, programmers, basically anyone that's required for the feature, FX artists. So I think we kind of know how to work with one another. And as I said, the, the best thing about Techland is how much we like one another. So it's actually quite easy. Like it's, it's um, even if we speak, speak different languages and we have to use different metaphors and different um, again, language words to express our needs from a feature, our requests for a feature, our vision for a feature. Um, I think being able to op speak openly and having that, that honest communication within those interdisciplinary teams definitely helps to deliver the, the, the features that, that we need to deliver. So um, to kind of wrap it up, I have uh, kind of like this final question about Usually we ask people where where to kind of how to get into game development. Where do you learn more about video game development? I think over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, there are much more schools right now that kind of teach you how to build games. You can build projects together and actually finish finish some kind of little prototype or vertical slice and so on. But um, where do you actually learn game design it seems like this is such an elusive thing and uh, you know when you look at any great game designers usually they just start with a, a pencil and a sheet of paper and they start drawing something or creating these little labyrinths or maps and then kind of go from there how would you recommend approaching this where would you suggest going if somebody is very passionate about being a game designer how do you learn to build games okay so actually i think Thankfully, there are quite a lot of universities and other schools that focus on game design and try to teach this 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 discipline within the broader game development spectrum. So definitely that's a good start. But not everyone has access to this type of school. Not everyone can go to this type of school. For me, it was actually quite easily, but maybe there's something universal about my story, which is quite personal but as i said i was a game uh, i was working in game media for uh, quite a long time i was a game journalist so i was able to play a lot of games uh, over the over my career and i was able to learn how to analyze those games and i think this is a a, a good direction for someone who is interested into game design to actually play as many games as he as he can and try to break it down into pieces and analyze why specific elements of the game are working and like this and what the game designers wanted to achieve with with specific decisions they took also try to kind of reverse engineer the design process the decision process that made them implement features in a specific way how the features implemented in a game add to the overall experience. So definitely this is something to do, trying to break down games into pieces, trying to analyze them, trying to understand why they are built like this. Um, also trying to ask more specific questions like what's the progression uh, system for the main character, what's the progression system for the whole game, for the narrative. So definitely something like this. Also look at the enemies, why are they designed like this, what kind of um, player abilities do they test, Etc. 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 There are also quite a lot of uh, 
books on the topic that are quite easily uh, available, starting with Theory of Fun, and basically there are quite a few dozen of them out there. So, so, so this is something to to try as well. One thing that I'm also using because I'm also running like a game design workshops, and usually what we do is we start with um, like a short lecture explaining the basics of game design. But the next thing we do is we try to create uh, a board game based on a on an actual computer game, on an actual video game, and this is also a very good exercise to analyze the original video game and understand why it's built like that, what's the essence of the game, what's the gameplay loop of that game, why, why, what are the gameplay pillars for, for, that, for that game, for that product, and then try to translate it into the, into the rules and the, the construction, the design of a board game. So also try to, to participate in exercises like this. But this, as you said, the game design is is actually quite an elusive art, and it's I, I, personally my professional quest, um, and I hope I will achieve it one day, is to actually be able to find like a set of golden scientific rules for game design that will allow me to apply them to any like any design problem and make sure that I I will be able to to solve it. I'm not sure if it exists, but I'm still looking for it. So, so of course, if I find it, if I find the golden rules of game design, I will like publish it freely for everyone, open source for everyone to enjoy, because I think that would uh, that would make um, it would make life easier for quite a lot of people out there, because. Um, in one of the of the of the slides of the presentation I, I was giving at a, one of the game conferences, I was kind of using this picture to present what a game for what a how does the work for a game designer looks, and it's a person that's glued, sticked to a rocket that's about to blow off, and I think that's very well speaks of 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 what game designers are doing at their job because they never they they never know what they're doing they never know what to expect but they have to like prepare themselves for everything and make sure that they will be able to handle the situation and 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 uh, design a game such big as as big as dying light to stay human so i'm not sure if that's if that's encouraging but if it's not then please Everyone, let me encourage you to try to get into game dev if you have just a slight interest in the uh, in the industry because this is really one of the best industries that you can work on at this time and one of the best jobs that you can have. So 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 like don't hesitate, don't get don't be afraid, don't uh, don't let nothing stop you. Try to join the game industry. Try as much as you can, and hopefully you will be a part of the industry one day and be able to create amazing interactive experiences for every gamer out there to enjoy. All right. Thank you, Timon. This was very encouraging. And uh, I want to say goodbye and also to say good luck on your quest to find those golden rules to make sure that everything works out. All right. Thank you so much. It was very fun talking to you. And uh, we'll leave the links to the game and to the site web the site of the company in the description. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP. And share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.